Well, it's another week of auto catch up, and this week we have some fantastic, you know, and, and fairly big news stories to, to talk about this week. Uh, we have the follow up of the HSV GDSR W1 Malu, as well as the last VIN number uh, Holden to ever roll off the shop. We talk about that, um, as well as rumors that Renault could be continue to be sold um, in Australia, but with potentially new distributors. Audi and Volkswagen combine their operations in Australia, as well as a whole bunch of other news, such as the Tesla Model S and X refreshes. But to talk all through this, um, obviously I could do it, but it'd be a bit boring. So um, back again, I've got Joel Strickland at Joel Strick Photo. Welcome back, Joel. Hi, Ash. How's it been this week? Been a been a good week. Yeah, it's a quiet start to the week, but the week gets very busy from tomorrow, so um, which is good. Um, yeah, but uh, also it takes off from uh, from there. So we'll have um, some stuff to talk about next week. Um, and yeah, what about you? Yeah, so it's been a been a good week. I have. Um was in a couple of cars last week. So firstly, the Mitsubishi Eclipse Cross, the newly um, updated model. And um, whilst uh, it's a fairly mild update, it does bring perhaps the the most uh, notable thing is the exterior. Um, it does have a slightly updated exterior where in the front, I really love the the new styling that Mitsubishi applying across the range. I think it sort of, it fits back to what, those um those concept cars that they did a little while ago um where it's quite aggressive up front um but i'm not a huge fan of um of the back i think the the outgoing eclipse cross was probably a little bit more stylish a little bit more sophisticated with this one it kind of feels like um the kind of treatment they did with the holden cruise in that last final update where it just looks a little bit odd um rather than just leaving it and 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 letting it stay looking good um, on the interior, it's it's just a fairly fairly standard spec, the one that I had, so nothing too special. Um, just cloth seats and usual, but it still had your Apple CarPlay. Um, it had re- your reversing and front cameras, but um, but no no blind spot monitoring, which was um, a bit curious. But but overall, plenty of size, good comfortable drive, great cold aircon, which is always welcomed. Um, but then the MG ZST. So this was my first. MG that I've driven under, you know, in this revived MG brand that we've seen come back in Australia. And no longer are they making, you know, British sports cars, but they're making, you know, budget-friendly passenger vehicles. And um, the, last week was really my opportunity to, to see, well, why are people buying so many of these as well as, you know, the smaller MG3? Um, and... I've got to say that they've started at a much better point, like, you know, for their essentially their first generation of, of vehicles that they've released. Um, they really came out firing and um, whether it be the, you know, the ability to, to have access to, to better technology these days, as well as the cost of it coming down. Um, but compared to with context as well to Hyundai, Kia, Mitsubishi, you know, when those brands came out, um, it was a, kind of a little bit cheap and nasty, and it took a while. Where you know we're seeing Hyundai now, which are kind of leaders in that in that area of making fantastic quality cars um, for a great competitive price. But the ZST, I had the top model with the premium paint, so it had pretty much everything you could think of. Um, blind spot monitoring, 360 degree cameras. It even has like a 3D view in the rear view camera. That's cool. Um, it has a stargazing um, sunroof, um, which I think like uh, one of your cars you've got, which which has the dial to set exactly how open you want the, the sunroof yeah. to be. Quite so you handy. don't have to, 
Yeah, so you don't have to fiddle around with buttons or anything like that of, you know, you're trying to touch it and you, then you accidentally hit it all the way back and all that kind of thing. It's just if you want to open a small bit, you just, you know, you turn it to that part. So that was really great. Um, it's got some another great convenience feature where it's got a USB port built right into the rear view um, mirror assembly. So That's you just really need smart. A, yeah, so you just need a really short little... Um, USB cable to connect it to your dash cam. You don't need to route it. You don't need to wire it in or anything like that. You can just plug it straight in. Um, and I, you know, I think that is just so clever and it's just, it's just one step short of what I can't believe car makers don't do where you can just put in an SD card and use all of the cameras that are already on the car um, to, to record to. So this is the next best thing. Um, and it means that you don't have to yeah, get ugly and routing cables or what most people do is just leave it dangling in the middle, which just drives me, <laughs> drives me insane. <laughs> um, but overall, the drive is really nice. Um, it does need some refinement here and there, mostly in software. Um, so things like the, the lane departure or the lane keep assist, um, it just constantly complains um, that, you know, it just keeps saying that, hey, lane assist is turning off. And um, I was recording a video, which I'm editing together, and I'll get uploaded at some point. Um, but within probably a five-minute stretch, I'll add a counter to the video, but probably every 30 seconds it would come on and complain that the setting is turning off. Um, so that was a little bit frustrating. So, And it kind of made me realize why that the, the previous person driving the car had turned off that feature. Um but I do love the the full digital display for the dash, um, and it just presents the data in a nice way. They, they've kind of gone and, and and said, look, well, we don't need the traditional dials. We don't need these things. We can, you know, um, uh, be a bit more clever in how we present the data. And, and, and something that I haven't seen very often at all. And um, and I was just thinking that it would have been great to have um, at the Hyundai N Festival as a feature in the the i30N and, and other vehicles is the tire temperature. So the tire pressure monitoring system also tells you the temperatures of the tires. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, in a ZST, is it, you know, a, a small SUV, is that really useful? Probably not. But um, it's it's certainly like when they're offering that data, it's it's always great to have. And it's something that I wish more cars, you know, as, as well as a few of the other things, I wish, you know, other cars did that too, particularly performance-oriented vehicles where knowing the temperature of your tires and, you know, am I overheating one or not, particularly if you're doing track days, is really useful information. Um, but overall, for, for, you know, my top model was just, I think it was like 30... 32,950 or something like that drive away. Um, you know, and, and most equivalent cars you'd be paying at least 40000 or $45,000 for. Um, you know, seven-year unlimited kilometer warranty. It's it's kind of like it's it's not perfect. Fuel economy is a little bit high at 9.9 litres. But it's with that said... really un unusually high. It is. And I, you know... <laughs> I know that I don't get the same fuel figures such as Mick, um, but he spends a lot of the time majority on the highway, so it doesn't yeah. really count. No. Um, but I have a fairly good mixture of highway and um, urban driving. Probably, it is probably about 50-50. So um, I find that my typical journey every day is fairly representative of that. And um, yeah, it was just surprising. It was a little bit high. So um, even... You know, like the the Eclipse Cross at the same time, um, it's it's a bigger vehicle, and um, I'm just pulling up the figure right now. It was it was doing better 
Um, uh, where is it? Yeah, so you, you oh, I didn't update the figure in there. Um, but yeah, so it was just under eight liters um, or eight and a half liters, sorry. And um, yeah, the the DMG is sitting at nine point nine. So yeah, certainly creeps up there. And um, but again, I think you know for the first iteration of a product, uh, it's very hard to complain about when it does a you know a, a fairly good job overall. And I think when you combine all of those things for a buyer, as long as they're good enough and they tick most of the boxes, or you know, and it doesn't do anything egregious. People are going to buy it, particularly when you offer that sort of value. Yeah, and that's the thing is that um, for for what it offers, it's it's pretty good. Yeah, and it's not a bad looking car either. Um, no. that's usually you know other other vehicles in that when they're trying to hit that budget point, it doesn't really you know hit it in the styling. But um, mm. but yeah, most of in in you know I'd call it like a good B plus A minus grade yeah um if if you're sort of you know going back to school and, and giving it a grade um because it's certainly it's not perfect and um you know you can see where in certain parts where they are doing it to a you know to fit a budget and to fit a price point but with that said um you know it took other car makers a lot longer to get to this point of the brand development um so yeah certainly kudos kudos to them but let's jump into some major news. So we're going to run through the major news. And, and the first one is obviously Holden, um, you know, made the news. We talked about it last week with the with the auctions. And a couple of, you know, there were a couple of notable vehicles heading to um, or already up for auction. And the first one um, was the, the HSV GDS RW1 Malou. Uh, say that five times fast. And... Um, you know, so that set the record. It was sitting at about 1.04 million, I think, last time we looked at it, job, but it did sell for 1.05 million, edging out um, the the Ford Falcon GTHO Phase Three, which went for 1.03 million in t- June 2018. Um, but yeah, this is a, a pretty serious amount of cash for a, for a car like this. It is. It's a lot of money. I mean, it is pretty unique. There was only sort of four of these things built. Yeah. Um, and they were pretty, you know, um, it was pretty rare to be able to find them. But what I can't believe is that the current rumor is that, is that it's going to be raffled off. Um, yeah. This LMCT group that has been raffling off cars for, you know, a period of time now um, has apparently rumored to have bought it and it's going to raffle it off. So the problem is, is that, you know, it's a shame that it's gone down this route. It would have been better off if it was bought by a, a collector or, yeah. you know, you just don't know what, what whose hands yeah. it's going to end up with, no. you know, whoever wins this raffle. If they turn trying to turn around and sell it, I don't think they'll get that money for it. Um, I don't think if someone buys, if someone wins it and then tries to sell it, I don't think they get a million dollars trying to sell it on the market tomorrow yeah. because people know what the, the maximum is. So, you know, Look, I'd, I'd, be, I'd probably be happier if it does go to auction and then, uh, sorry, goes to to the raffle and then whoever buys it flips it immediately and it does get into the hands of collector because correct. Last yeah. time, you know, last time a powerful uh, raffle car made it to the news it was only a couple of weeks ago, and um, the guy just basically destroyed the the running gear in his C sixty three by trying to do a burnout. Yeah, and, um, and and it almost burnt to the ground. Yes, so, you know, it's it's a shame that you know it's we it's a shame that this didn't go to a collector. I hope that if whoever wins it, they turn around and flip it. Yeah, um, and you like you say, it does go to a proper collector because yeah. this car needs to be 
looked after. It needs to be given to someone that's going to treat it treat it right, and you know it it, it become because it is part of Australian history. So, um, and, look, and if it doesn't, and it goes to the hands of someone, look, that that's great. But I think um, I'd I'd be more worried that it'd be a target for a uh, for theft. Um, yeah. After that, because yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think. Mixed bag because anybody could have with the cash could have bought it and then just driven it like normal and mm. whatever like you know even you know and and but with that said, I, it just feels like this is the car that um, at least you know and and this is where the disappointment is with with HSV and Holden and the way things sort of went because otherwise it should have gone to you know to the Holden Museum or, or mm. you know some sort of relevant museum where even you know even if it did have kilometers added to it it was done in you know demonstration laps around a racetrack or something like that yeah exactly um to showcase what it was because this is a very special car for what it was because it did have um you know the supercharged V8 from the Z01 Corvette P0 semi slick tires um yeah, it's it's just a it's a it's a special car. Um, so yeah, and so that's that one. But then we also had the last Holden Commodore that had um, a VIN attached to it. There was one more built after that, but it didn't have um, a VIN attached to it, and that's been retained um, by GM. But this one sold for seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Now this was just a regular, um, I think it's an SSV Redline. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it, bidding started at 305,000, went all the way to 750,000. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, you know, and, and as the article says, we've got shared here 10 times the car's original $65,000 showroom cost. Mm. It's pretty amazing to think that what this has got, but again, with the way that the market is today, I don't think this will ever sell. If it was to then be sold again, I don't think it'll ever really sell for that kind of money again. Um, Probably not seems, for another seems, thirty years. No, like, it seems, like what we've seen with the other, you know, the the classic, uh, yeah. you know, the you know, like the phase threes and things like that. Um, yeah, you know, GDOs, GDHOs, and things like that. Like that took a lot. You know, we didn't see these sorts of numbers for a long time in these vehicles until people started to appreciate what they were. And yeah. look, the only thing that I could see going in these cars favors in terms of their, their value is, um, is the fact that obviously EVs are, are coming around and we'll touch on it in, you know, a couple of articles time, but you know, GM are going all electric by 2035. Um, so in terms of, you know, such as, you know this Commodore, which is an LS3 V8. You know that that is probably going to be the the key thing about this particular car. Yeah, exactly. So it'll be interesting to see you know where it goes, where it pops up uh, now that it's sold. So yeah, it'll be um, you know the the owner of it that um, that put it on for sale has obviously done quite well out of it. <laughs> it's now yeah. selling, including obviously the the buyers premium that that's gone into it but um yeah it's it's interesting to see what his return on his investment i'm surprised that it sold so well so early on um that you know you didn't keep it and see whether it would go for more say another five years or whatever down the track but yeah it's um i think there'll be a lot of people trying to probably um sell their uh their versions of you know if they've got them now or know that the market is is you know is this an overinflation of the of the used market? Mm. You know, who, who knows? So, um, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Do you, do you think um, 
do you think the return of a Holden brand would make these cars valuable, more valuable, or or not? Mm, um, if we saw I don't, that return? I don't think know. so. I think mm-hmm. they'll probably it, it's it's to whoever whoever is the right buyer really yeah. at the end of the day. Um, you know, if the if someone wants something bad enough, they'll pay the money. Um, yeah. But it's got to have you know it's got to have the right. Um, I think the person to buy. Yeah. As well as just the size of our market, we don't have the same size market as say the US yeah. to to have the number of buyers who are willing to spend that amount of money on a on a vehicle like that. But um, but look, yeah, it's, I'm sure these cars will pop up again, and we'll, we'll you know we'll keep you guys informed if um that W1 pops up again after the raffle or whatever. But yeah, um, but if, looking at other. You know, probably not as exciting as uh, the you know V8 Holdens is um, Renault. So there's a takeover expected. Now this hasn't been confirmed, but a few outlets have have written about it, and um, this is with Renault and um, looking at potentially a Teco Group, um, which is an independent distributor to take over the French brand from a you know from the factory operation. So at the moment, Nissan and Renault, which is part of their alliance, um, do the importation of the Renault vehicles and obviously supporting the Renault de- dealer network around Australia. But um, obviously, the Renault has gone through a few changes, and obviously, the global pandemic hasn't helped with it either. Um, but whilst there's no comment from both. Um, I think this is a fairly interesting move and um, perhaps Ateco is probably the, the right one, you know, could be in a good position to to be, you know, the caretakers of this brand because there are certainly some exciting vehicles within the Renault brand. Um, and Ateco, if you're not familiar with them, they currently are the importers or the distributors, I should say, of the Chinese LDV brand, um, Ram, Maserati, and um, also, they've got a big, long history of other makers in the past. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, th- th- if, if everything goes right and this does end up being true, ideally, we don't see any different from a, from a consumer point of view. It's just a, an operational change in the back, don't you think? Yeah, look, it's an interesting way to change it. Um, I don't know how it works, obviously, in terms of the way that it structures. And the question is, you know, do the, does the dealer network remain the same or does it change? Um, how does that all work or does it just change the, the more head office and the way that it's run? But Ateco is a great, a great company and they've done a lot. Like you said, you know, they're currently working with LDV and Ram and obviously Maserati. Um, but they've had a long history with working, as you said, with a lot of other brands. And, you know, Neville Crichton, who's the who's the owner of Atiko, has, has done pretty well over the years. They also have a big uh, foothold in New Zealand as well with what they do over there with a lot of brands. Um, so, yeah, look, I think it, it's an interesting move. It'll be interesting to see how it changed. Um, another reference I saw today was that, you know, that the um, actual numbers – for Renault have dropped off um, over the last few years, and they yeah. are changing their their range and slimming it down a little bit with a, with a couple of models disappearing and slimming down their range. So, I mean, we've got great product with the with the Megane and the Colios um, at the moment, uh, and I hope that you know, obviously, they continue. But they're obviously trying to find a, a an area where you know it's going to work better for the business. But I did read another article today that Renault, as a global company, is trying to change the way they're doing business and going to go through a reshuffle as a as a as a brand um so it'll be interesting to see what uh that does and how the flow and effect full comes down into our market um but yeah hopefully you know if this change is confirmed that uh it is uh it is good for the brand and it really helps them 
Yeah, and you know, I, th- I see a few people have said that you know this isn't this a backward step, and I don't know. I think um, uh, particularly Teco, they they know how to sell particularly niche products, and they've done a very good job with RAM, for example. Um, that has, uh, you know, w- we've spoken about it through the through the lockdowns and things like that, where they, you know they're now selling over three hundred vehicles a month. Um, which isn't bad for you know big American pickup trucks that are sitting around hundred thousand dollars. So um, I think uh, if if they know how to, as as long as they don't, you know, there's still particular challenge they have to face in terms of being competitive in the market at that point, um, because people do think about your your servicing, your warranty costs, and um, ongoing support. And as long as that support is there. And pricing doesn't get affected too much in terms of you know they're able to remain competitive. Um, they should find themselves in good stead. They make some good products, and I do. You know, I am looking forward to. I think the Arcana, which is I would almost say like an X4 BMW X4 competitor. Um, obviously, not in the same luxury level, but in terms of styling, that's what it is. And um, like uh, you know, the photos which are which have been released and out overseas, I, I think it looks great, and I you know I want to see that come down under, and I think um, you know if we, I hope I hope this is um, this ends up, and I think it's in a good good position to to succeed. Yeah, it'll be interesting. If we watch this space; it'll be interesting to follow. Yeah. So with more organizational changes, Volkswagen and Audi are also merging their Australian operations. Now, obviously, um, they fit underneath the Volkswagen Automotive Group. So they are owned, they do fit under the same umbrella. But in terms of operations, they have um, operated independently here in Australia. So Volkswagen and Skoda uh, underneath the same banner here, and then Audi Australia operating on their own. But obviously now, uh, Volkswagen Group Australia will be um, pulling itself underneath that. And um, yeah, so they're saying it's subject to the final approval by the parent companies in Germany, um, and obviously like our local um, regulatory bodies here. Um, but I think that's a an interesting move because Audi and Volkswagen do obviously have quite high, relatively high volume numbers. Um, but I wonder what this streamlining allows them to do, particularly when they obviously share a lot of component components, you know, at a at a platform level. Um, but the brands, in terms of their positioning, are fundamentally different. Um, what are you, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, look, it's it's interesting. Um, yeah, I kind of always wondered, considering all. They like you said, they're all under the Volkswagen Group. It's always interesting that they've all had separate entities, and and you know, Skoda and Volkswagen and Audi have all had their own area. Um, but yeah, I think it's an interesting merger. Again, it's kind of like the 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 Renault thing. You know, uh, dealers and that probably won't see a lot of difference. Well, sorry. Um, customers won't see a lot of difference at their end, I don't think. But, you know, the dealership and head office might, you know, everything might be streamlined and stuff like that. Um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what kind of comes out further along mm. the lines of this with conversation yeah. and, and that. But, um, yeah, look, it's an interesting move. Um, you know, there is a lot of people involved in these areas. Are they going to, to then sort of downsize in, 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 in it all? You know, will there be changes? Um, you know, sort of from our point of view, how will it change with the PR side of things? Will that still have their, you know, each brand still have its own thing? You know, how will it change? So I think it'll be something we'll have to watch. But again, it's probably maybe a logistics and, and management thing to, to make everything run smoother. 
Yeah, and I think uh, yeah, it, it, it's just going to be interesting. Obviously, there's there's you know, like what you said, there's operational things that can be streamlined in the back, and I don't think this will be the last of the reorganization shuffles that happen um, because even if if we take the the new uh, logos, which a lot of car makers are bringing out at the moment, we've seen it from Nissan, Kia. Uh, General Motors, they're all shifting and and changing their brands. And and this is all in anticipation of of obviously where these brands are going in the future, the electrification of their ranges. And so there's a lot of changes happening, I think, behind the scenes to realign these organizations to be better positioned for you know what is coming these brands have 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 operated in their way for for a long time now and um yeah there's a lot of change happening and i think these clever brands are going to be prepared for as best as they can for what is coming and um yeah i think uh i think it won't be the last It, it might not always make sense but um i don't think it's going to be the last of the reorganization and shuffles particularly with our um, with our market here in Australia where, you know, we don't have the biggest volumes. We don't have, um, you know, we don't really generally even like being lumped together with New Zealand for our operations. So, yeah, it's um, it's going to be an interesting one and, uh, yeah, definitely not the last. No, it'll be, and as I said, we'll be interested to follow and see what changes. Yeah. So Tesla. Um, it's it's been a long time since we've seen any. Uh, well, we haven't seen any major redesigns for the Model S and the Model X. Um, the Model S obviously has been the the major model for for Tesla, which has given them you know the platform to to develop obviously and expand the range of the the Model Y, the Model Three, um, the Cybertruck, and uh, the Semi, which is uh, coming. But um, we finally have seen the. Tesla have shown off the the, the new update, and um, it actually borrows a lot of things from the Model Three. We've, we've now got a, a horizontal display in the middle. Um, we've got a refined and you know a lot more modern looking uh, dash, as well as curiously um, the the steering wheel. So you now have an option, and I don't know how this will go down under. Um, I haven't heard back in terms of uh, what options, but the first option obviously is your traditional steering wheel, or the other one, um, which has been circulating around in all of the press photos, is almost what looks like a flight joystick um, with the the top half. It's squared off wheel with the top half chopped off, um, being the other option. But uh, but what, what's your takeaway with this? So- I really don't know how this is going to work. It's kind of like the worst steering wheel I've ever seen in a car, you know. Um, and I love how they've chosen to to show the screen by using it as a like you know a like games a, console. Like well, yeah, a games console, whatever. That's just bizarre. Why not? Yeah, you know, show it that it's being used as a as a map system or whatever. You know how good it is or whatever. It's just bizarre. I just don't understand Tesla's. Um, yeah, I think I think look, I think it's clever because at the moment, if you're needing to charge a car, you, it still takes a significant amount of time. Even mm. with using a supercharger, it can it can take uh, you know anywhere between half an hour to an hour or even more. Um, depending on how many cars are at the, uh, you know, at the at the supercharging site. Um, so on one side, I think it's really clever. They're using, um, I think the, I think. Oh, let me just confirm. Um, I think they're using uh, either Nvidia or AMD for their graphics engine. Mm-hmm. Um, let me just confirm that right now. 
Oh, all the details are buried through a click. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so it's got GPU performance um, that rivals basically the, um, you know, the PS5 or the Xbox Series X. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, so it's it's kind of pretty impressive. They're, they're showing it off it's being able to play, you know, The Witcher 3, Cuphead, and a number of different other games. Um, and with wireless controller compatibility, you can use it from any any seat because it's got a screen in the back now. Um, so I think I think that's kind of clever in a way. Um, and obviously, if you have the the screen in the back for for gaming, that makes long road trips really great. Um, but yeah, I think uh, with the I think that probably the biggest notice thing is um, the played model, which uh, offers insane performance specs. So let me just pull that one up. So it's the most expensive version, of course. Um, of course it is. But it's got a huge... Uh, everything's in American, so... So it's got an 836-kilometer range of 520 miles, um, which is huge. That is um, by far the best range that's available. Um, but in terms of performance, so you've got... Uh, was it they're claiming a zero to 60 of 1.99 seconds, a quarter mile time of 9.3 seconds and a top speed of 200 miles. Um, so that's certainly <laughs> incredibly impressive. Um, and this is sort of the thing where I go, I, I, as crazy as it seems, this is the right push that we need continued in electric cars. We need people excited for electric cars. Now they're not going to be, not everyone's going to be out and buying the Model S or even the Model S Plaid model. Um, but again, it helps push car makers and consumers in thinking, going, this is what I want and this is what things should be like. And even though, yes, I think the steering wheel design with the air aircraft controller is doesn't work on a road car. There's so many things that can go wrong. So whether it's um, bumping your arm on a square surface, like if, if that's just not good, um, if you're going through a corner, we do normally, if you're on a track, yeah, absolutely. The most you'll be is crossing your arms over. If you're doing any more, you're in trouble. Um, but on a regular road, you need a, a steering wheel you can grab and turn and things like that. And, and a rectangular steering wheel doesn't work for that. Not really. Um, no. no. So I and but I don't know if it does or doesn't meet um, ADR rules here anyway. So we might it, it might not even be a thing um, here in Australia just because of safety. Um, but yeah, I think this is a good move. I think this is obviously a massive improvement for. Um, the Model S, I think, I felt, I have felt that the Model S has been in need of a bit of a, re of a refresh. The, the vertical screen was something I was never a huge fan of. I do prefer the the landscape display. It makes watching movies and and watching content and consuming content as well as maps and things like that. It's just I find it's easier, um, easier to read. Um, but yeah, I think it's a huge, huge step. But and we will be getting it in Australia, I believe, from what I've seen. Um, so I'm sure there'll be checkbooks and order books open for you to place a deposit um, on the Tesla website if you're wanting to, to jump on that. I'm interested to see whether the steering wheel makes it or not. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I'm waiting to, to hear back from my contacts. I'll update everyone once I hear that. 
Um, but continuing on with EVs, um, Google. So they've also acknowledged that, and particularly this is a bigger issue here in Australia than I think even in the US. Um, but the challenge is always that if you're getting directions to somewhere and you've got to take into consideration the charge of your electric vehicle, you need to start factoring where to charge it. And um, Google have been working on and they've implemented or they've at least announced a new feature um, for electric vehicle owners that will use AI to sort through all of the public charging stations when finding the best route for you. So, um, yeah, so they, they're calling it graph theory um, to present charging stop recommendations. And obviously, this is something that's going to become more and more relevant as um, you know, as as we get more charging infrastructure and as we get more and more electric vehicles on the road, and um, it's certainly the only thing is that I, I don't think um, it's going to be very useful at the moment, um, because particularly in Australia or at least in Brisbane, because we don't have that many charging spots. Um, like in terms of fast charges, there's only a handful of them available um, in Brisbane, and so even right now when driving the MG EV. Um, you know, it is still something that I've got to think about and going, well, do I want to charge the car for 12 hours or whatever outside or um, do I work in somehow into my route that I stop in for an hour or something to, to recharge the car at a fast charger, which is 20 kilometers out of my, you know, out of my way typically. Um, the thing is with this new feature, it is only going to be available on like their Android automotive system that's installed. So um, it won't just be something that's available in Google Maps or anything like that, or at least for now. Um, so things like the, and that's only a couple models, the Volvo XC40 Recharge, um, which I'd have to go back and double check because I didn't actually notice that that was running on the vehicle that I had, um, but also the Polestar 2, which we currently don't have here in Australia. So at the moment, not available in Australia, but um, it's great to see that they're working on this sort of thing. Yeah, it's exciting stuff. When that uh, story came across, the, uh, I read it during the week. I was very, very intrigued. Um, actually came through a link I was reading on LinkedIn, actually, of, of all yeah. things. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting just to see the way that they're talking about Volvo are pushing it quite heavily, obviously, because they're involved in it. But uh, I think it's great because, you know, as you said, as these you know, as EVs grow and, and you need to be able to find these charge networks, particularly when you're, I mean, it, it was predominantly looked at it from a European point of view because obviously traveling through countries and stuff like that, um, you know, when you're doing long road trips, it's probably crucial to know where all that sort of stuff is. But, you know, as the American market grows as well, I know that there's, you know, uh, other people I've spoken to are trying to drive cross country and stuff like that um, and finding a network that you can connect to because not everyone is driving a, a Tesla with the you know can use the supercharger system, so you kind of need to know where it is and help plan your journey. So uh, it's interesting to see that the way this has worked. There's another article that's come out this week as well, talking about Ford and their partnership with Google and and moving forward with making Google Maps the you know their going to be there um, in the next couple of years. It's going to be Ford's system of standard map system. So yeah. Um, this kind of technology has got so much ability to move with so many different brands and cars to to make life easier for everyone because, you know, so many people just use particularly cars that now have got um, car, Apple, you know, CarPlay or Android Auto yeah. being able to use, you know, Google Maps as, as your standard, um, I think is pretty pretty important. So, yeah, it's, it's cool to see that, you know, brands are evolving and more and more is happening as, as a result. 
Yeah, and and look, the the thing is, is that Apple is also working on their EV routing, um, which we talked about when in the last update for iOS um, and Apple CarPlay by adding that into Apple CarPlay. And so, yeah, it is something that is becoming you know more and more important to people that drive. Um, and as EV cars grow in popularity, that's going to be a, a bigger thing. But the the challenge is also, however, that not all chargers work all the time or they're not always all available. Um, so at the moment, you I use a couple of different apps. One of them is PlugShare, which is a crowdsourced app. And um, yeah, people, it's, it takes up to people to make sure to, to comment that um, this particular charger is working properly or, you know, it's working at its full speed or even to try and get a rough idea of what's, what's currently available. Um, so you don't commit to the drive and then all of a sudden realize that you're waiting two hours because other people are charging their car. Um, but it doesn't also solve that on the way there, particularly for me, if I'm half an hour away at least, um, that in that half an hour, somebody else doesn't rock up and, and take up the spot. Yeah. Um, so there's still a few other things to work through. And I know that ChargeFox are quite good with their app showing what's available and what isn't working. But at the moment, we're not at the point where um, there's saturation of one type of charger or one type of charging network that just means that you can fully rely on that. I do bounce between. I've got a couple of different. Um, I use all the major charging networks at the moment simply because to try and find the one that's most convenient to me. And um, so it's still a bit of a juggle. It's still not as easy as driving a, a a petrol car where you can just, you know, you can go to any petrol station and you're going to have something that's somewhat, re, you know, suitable. Not every, you know, not every petrol station sells 98, for example, but putting in 95 to get you to another petrol station will be fine um, for most cars. So, yeah, I, it's, it's it's a great step, and but here in Australia we've got a little bit more of a way to go um, for it. And uh, luckily, I think at the moment maybe uh, you know this next article is is fine because hopefully by twenty thirty five um, we'll have a much better infrastructure. But General Motors, um, which we no longer really have here in Australia at the moment, except for GMSV, but General as a whole are going all electric by twenty thirty five. Um, and phasing out gas and diesel engines. So basically, that that, that yeah, it started off with the Bolt, you know, EV, um, as well as you know the the, the Hummer EV now, and um, everything, including Corvette, will be fully electric by 2035. And I think that's a, a great commitment to have. It's not too soon. It's not too far, um, and uh, obviously gives the chance for technology to to get along. Yeah, it's a big step. Um, you, we kind of expected it to happen, particularly with more and more governments now trying to push forward on the ban of um, of petrol and diesel cars and, and moving towards that electric thing. Yeah. But at least it's, you know, it, it's reasonable in terms of it's, you know, it's just under 15 years time away um you know we've already seen the evolution of batteries and and hybrids and everything and how that has just you know every generation is obviously getting better and better so by the time we get around to that set of time who knows what kind of um range you'll be able to get out of cars but also what the the network of charges and stuff will be like and infrastructure so it, it's an interesting goal for them to have um and 
you know, that more and more brands, like you said, are trying to head down that way. Um, yeah. It's interesting to watch, you know, as this announcement's made that, that Rivian this week, you know, a few more of their models came off the line. Um, the guys have tweeted some interesting pictures of, you know, their um, SUV coming down the production line and stuff like that. So, you know, the excitement around that model alone is, you know, is just growing as that as that brand becomes stronger and stronger. And I know there's a lot of fans around the world, but I'm, it's one brand that I'd love to see come here to Australia because yeah. I think there's potential, you know, they are saying that they will build on that platform on, as left and right-hand drive. Mm. Um, but, you know... It'll be interesting to see what GM do and whether they try to push into to the market here as well. Yeah. Um, we know Ford's been strong on it. But, yeah, I, I think it's one of those things. I think the the writing is on the wall in terms of what will happen here in Australia. Uh, the government has come out and said that they are trying to be more carbon neutral as well here in this country. So I can expect that we may see something like this kind of announcement happen the, down the, the track. The challenge, the challenge is, though, is that we're facing... Um, you know, the, the feeling is that we're a little bit backwards here because we've got states talking about bringing in, um, ta- you know, additional taxes and and uh, fees for driving uh, an electric vehicle. Um, you know, so that's really acting as a as a disincentive um, rather than in it. You know, every other country is kind of throwing incentives to buy EVs because they're thinking at the the collective good rather than, um, you know, the bottom line for the road infrastructure. Even though I think it's an absolutely fair point to say that, well, if we lose out on the on the on the fuel excise, well, we've got to make that money up else, you know, somewhere to 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 fund the roads, which is still going to be used. It doesn't change how the roads have been used, um, but I think yeah, we 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 definitely need some more push from you know from state local federal you know all all levels of government to to incentivize people to to think about electric you know electric or even hydrogen you know but electric powered vehicles um to to begin that transition otherwise we're going to be stuck in 2035 as an example where the majority of vehicles have been sold electric but we just don't have the infrastructure available um, because at the rate of which, like, um, even in the last few years of which, you know, I've been driving more and more electric vehicles, the number of charges haven't increased to a, to a point that makes a difference to me and my experiences, you know, charging and, and, you know, even in a week period of only, you know, of, of, of having a vehicle, it hasn't made a dramatic impact for someone like me. By going, oh wow! Like six months later, I, there's another, you know, another charger available near me. Um, and if and oh, you've I, got to remember though that we've had a, a tough year, you know, the last year in terms of you know, a lot of stuff has happened with de- development of certain things, but plans that may have been afoot to install more networks and things like that may have been put on the back, the back burner for another six to twelve months. So, you know, maybe in the next, you know, yeah, by the end but of I'm this not year, even seeing the plans or commitments from companies to to make me all that. Exciting for the charging infrastructure and um yeah it's that it's that tough economic argument as well where um like a you know like we've discussed previously with petrol stations um if it takes five minutes for someone to put eighty dollars into their fuel tank and move on um what's your incentive to offer a, a charger when they're going to sit around for two hours or even an hour um and pay 10 bucks 
um, as a business, you're not going to be incentivized to do that. And even shopping centers, they they usually put in the electric car charging at a lot of them are park it away and far, you know, tucked away and inconvenient to get to, or um, or they're limited in the charging points of which they have, um, such as the shops. The closest shopping center near me, which is, or not the closest one to me, but the closest one with the charger, um, only has one type of plug available. And if you if you have a car that doesn't have it, well, you're out of luck. Um, so yeah, we've, we've got a lot. We've got a long way to go, and um, there's we've got a few hurdles to to get over, including that economic incentive for businesses to support it or to have a reason to put it in. Um, and I'd be curious to see if there is that. You know, like what we see with um, with Apple and Android. Uh, I haven't looked the last time because it hasn't really. I haven't seen it being brought up. But you know that argument of well, Apple users end up paying more per app. You know, they end up spending more per app than a than an equivalent Android user. I don't know if that is true or not for uh, an EV user that visits a shop or, or anything like that, but it'd be an interesting statistic to look at to see if there's an alternative argument that you could make that, well, if you put in more charges, the thing is that, yeah, they might be there for long and they'll take up a spot, but they actually on average spend more than you know the typical uh, combustion engine owner at the moment or something. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see where it goes. There was an article, um, and I need to. I'm going to look more into it. There was something yeah. that came out today that um, a company here in Victoria is pushing hard to do more with um, the rural network for charging mm-hmm. systems, yeah. um, and it's actually run by a, a um, someone I know through just through business and stuff who's worked in a different couple of areas. So I'm going to try and reach out to him um, and maybe even try and set up a bit of a chat with him at some stage. But they're trying to facilitate installation of up to 100 new free-use EV chargers in regional Victoria. Mm. Um, So it's quite an interesting... um, uh, quite interesting, you know, set up in terms of what they're trying to do. Uh, but, yeah, I'm intrigued to find out more about that because, you know, that regional network, you know, is kind of a kind of an issue in that sort of area. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting yeah. to see where, where that goes and, and what that does. Yeah, and it, and it leads in great into our next article, which is um, so President Biden um, of, of the United States is committed to replacing the entire U.S. government fleet with electric vehicles. Um, so that's a fleet of roughly 650,000 vehicles. Um, so, yeah, like that's that's a huge um, commitment. It could cost in the in the Reuters article, it says it could cost up to 20 billion for that to 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 happen. Um, but yeah, so the, you know, at the moment, just 3,215 3, vehicles in July of last year were electric. Um, for you know the government fleet, but I think that's a that's a big step forward, and obviously that's a way to that's one way to to ensure that the infrastructure, the charging infrastructure, grows um, and becomes more robust by having a, a huge fleet that needs places to charge um, whilst they're out on the field. Yeah, it's interesting in terms of that, and particularly with you know the brands like um, Rivian and their involvement with building vehicles for Amazon and their delivery yeah. network and stuff like that. I think, and I know GM are trying to get into that market as well. Um, it's exciting stuff. Uh, it really is, and it'll be interesting to follow and see what that does and and how they achieve it, and what other um, governments around the world follow suit. 
Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, and, and that's the kind of thing that I think uh, would be nice to see, you know, from maybe not a commitment of that size, but um, straight off the bat. But, you know, those sorts of commitments, that sort of, you know, um, positive step into to making that move forwards and, and perhaps being a bit of an example um, rather than, you know, making the token vehicle here and there as part of the electric fleet, um, which I know that like some councils have done, they've done a good job where, you know, I know that Brisbane city council bought a large number of Holden vaults, um, originally, and they still, I still see some of them getting around today. So, um, obviously shows to their, you know, good job for the longevity of those vehicles. Cause they were great. Yeah. Um, in there, you know, they're a great vehicle, just horrendously unappreciated by the, by the market and a little bit ahead of its time. Um, but in terms of something that is just unapo- you know, basically the opposite of anything in terms of environmental, um, with except for you know, uh, trying to redefine you know the definition of physics, um, is the SSC Tuatara, um, which got a bit of controversy uh, a little while ago, which we spoke about, where um, the there were claims and 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 doubts cast on what that record was um they had claimed that they were doing um you know over 300 miles per hour um but a lot of the uh the data was pulled apart and 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 scrutinized and so ssc came back uh they went to a slightly different location brought a whole heap of verification uh, a couple of different companies with them to help uh you know ensure that um, everything was actually above board this time compared to to last time, and um, not as fast. So, 316 miles per hour was the the last one, but this time they were able to achieve 286.1 miles per hour average of going two ways. Still an insane number, but it's fast. But it's not that fast, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I hadn't even realised that they had uh, tried again. Um, I did see something sort of um, um, appearing, you know, through the the through the socials this week. So um, it'll be interesting to see whether it, you know, whether it stays and uh, whether there's any other controversy that comes as, as a result. Yeah, so it still doesn't crack um, the same pace of which the the Bugatti Chiron um, did, but however, um, as pointed out. Bugatti never ran in two directions. They just did one to, to prove that it could um, and not necessarily to go out and set a record because uh, that's really just what Bugatti does. Um, <laughs> but still, um, I think uh, I think SSC has said that they'll be going back and then um, they'll return in the attempt to at least crack the 300-mile-per-hour barrier, um, which is a huge, huge barrier and... Um, yeah, it will be impressive to see once it eventually falls down because it's not if, it's when. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so motorsport news. Um, not much in Formula One, but there's been... Uh, we obviously had the supercars with the Triple Eight happening. Yeah, so they've uh, launched their um, new livery for uh, the season. Um, they've also announced that they're coming to partnership with Super Cheap Auto, uh, who we talked about last week, who have obviously... Uh, in and now sponsoring uh, TCR, but they're also um, involved with Triple Eight, which is a great um, 
relationship for them there. They used to be with Autobahn for a long period of time. So that's a big pickup for Super Cheap to, to get involved with that brand. Um, we've also seen some livery, livery unveils. WAU have released their new liveries. Tickford are rolling out their liveries. Um, not a lot's really changed uh, in terms of what we've seen. Um, the tests, the supercar pre-season tests, um, which are going to be held at Winton and um, Queensland Raceway in um, early Feb, will be open to um, spectators. So you will mm-hmm. be able to go along and spectate. You will be limited on where you can go, um, but you will be able to attend to have a look at that, which is uh, it's exciting for fans yeah. um, before the lead-up to the first race at Bathurst. Um, but yeah, beyond that, there's not a lot that's been really happening. Um, I think we'll see obviously some more livery unveils, um, in the coming, um, weeks, um, the grids, grids locked in. Um, and yeah, so there's not a lot really to, to really to expect, uh, coming forward. So yeah, it'll be, um, just interesting to see uh, as the rest of the, um, uh, liveries trickle through in the in the weeks leading up to mm-hmm. the fir- the test, um, which will be interesting, and then obviously our first race at Bathurst. Yeah, and um, I think uh, GMC Hummer EV they've teamed up with Extreme E. So yeah, yeah, that's in- it, look, it's kind of a match made in heaven in terms of that respect with oh, of course, obviously yeah. the, the Hummer and um, Extreme E, which we've talked about before um, mm-hmm. on the show. Um, but yeah, they're going to do a multi-year sponsorship with Chip Ganassi Racing. Um, who are obviously entered in Extreme E, uh, which kicks off in April this year. Um, and, yeah, so their drivers are, are Kyle Leduc and Sarah Price. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's great involvement for them for them because um, all the cars are a unique design and stuff. But it'll be interesting. The picture that came out with the release has a, a like a Hummer EV front grafted onto yeah. the um the style of the extreme uh vehicle so i'm intrigued to see whether that does come to fruition i hope it does because it does look really really good it's very futuristic um but that's good to see that their involvement in that to obviously cross promote both the series and obviously the the new mm-hmm. hummer evo yeah i think uh it's almost uh like nascar style isn't it with the with the grafted front um, yeah, very much so. With the with the their their design of their vehicles and that sort of stuff, it looks very very similar. Yeah, and um, it seems like uh, Nico Rosberg and and Lewis Hamilton won't be alone in uh, being team owners in Extreme E. So Jensen Button has joined as a team owner, but as well as a driver, I think, um, with the uh, with Extreme E. So that's a that's an interesting entry. Yeah, that's great for him to have uh, to have that involvement. But not only that, that he will be a driver, but it'll be for JBXE, uh, his team. Um, and yeah, the interesting thing of the livery that they've shown is uh, looking back to his uh, title-winning brawn car. Yeah, um, I really like the look of it. Yeah, it looks good. It's a it's a nice design in terms of um, with that you know flurry yellow and stuff like that. So he's been a busy boy. Obviously, we talked previously about his um, senior advisor role with Williams, yeah. and obviously this extreme E series that he's going to be involved in, as well as doing some Super GT stuff. I think as well. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, or there is. Yes, I'm pretty sure it's Super GT that he's involved in, um, but also some, um, I think there's some touring car racing. So, yeah, it's good to see that, but it's also bringing some big names to that series as well. Yeah. Do you think it puts uh, Formula E under pressure a little bit? With, I think um, it does. Start um, yeah, I think it will in terms of what they're planning to do. Yeah. Um, 
in the future. And as we talk about, you know, the, the shift to hybrid, you know, as Formula One evolves um, and it becomes more and more possibly uh, more hybrid based and even more electric based, you know, the two effectively are probably going to have to almost merge at some stage if they end up going down that down that mm-hmm. route. So yeah, I think it uh, it does make it interesting. Um, but one of those things to watch. Yeah, and um, our very own uh, Toby Price has been order, uh, been awarded the Medal of Order Medal of the Order of Australia um, for his services to motorsport over yeah, there this you know, is during cool. Australia Day. This is great news, um, and it's one of these things to be honoured to. You know, we, we talk. Uh, about Lewis becoming, you know, his Sir Lewis uh, title, but yeah. this is one of the strongest that we can offer someone in Australia for yeah, to reward their service to what they've created. And yeah, Toby is well deserved. Um, you know, having won the the Dakar in 2016, um, and just his, you know, grit and determination of what he's done. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty amazing and very well deserved for him. So. Um, yeah, it's very, very impressive, and it's really, really um, quite good. The other um, motorsport um, I've mentioned to also motorsport person to, to get mentioned is Ross Tapper, who for so many years was clerk, of course, of um, West Australia's um, Forest Rally, mm-hmm. um, part of the ARC. Um, and yeah, he, you know, he, he's still still in that role, and he's done it for over thirty years. So another very well uh, deserved uh, recipient of this award. Yes, indeed. Okay, some local news now. So Lexus um, have hit a hybrid milestone. So they've cracked 30,000 hybrid vehicles delivered. Um, So obviously in 15 years, they've, um, you know, gone on to offer basically a hybrid model and across all of their models. Um, And it started off with their RX 400 in 2006. So um, obviously, it's a fantastic result for them, and uh, again, strengthens our argument that Lexus could, you know, uh, kind of has been a, a silent pioneer in the selling of hybrid vehicles. Toyota has finally, I think, caught up in in terms of offering the breadth of hybrid models, but Lexus has really been going down this road for, road for a for a long time. Yeah, they have, and they've been pushing it quite heavily across um, across the range with you know. <laughs> With a variety of models and quite a yeah. big range of models that have that ability to to run uh, across it, you know, we talk about you know almost every model range now has a um, a hybrid of some form in it, and yeah, yeah it, it's great. So you know, as you said, Toyota have done a lot with their models across the board over the years, and it's just growing. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's impressive to see that, and you know, the sales have obviously followed it as a as a result. Yeah, and um, so Peugeot as well, um, adding in a, a plug-in hybrid version um, along with the, their facelifted 3008 and 5008. Um, so this is another really great addition. So you've got the hybrid 4300, which uses a 147-kilowatt tune of the four-cylinder engine, um, and that's combined with an 80-kilowatt electric motor um, on the front and uh, an 83-kilowatt version on the back. So it gives you combined 224 kilowatts, which... For a for a car like that, that's a decent amount of power, um, and in total it gives you about fifty nine k's of pure electric range. Um, you do have a, a, another step below as well, um, which gives you a little bit less power. Not too different in terms of EV range, um, but yeah. So the three double eight five seater and the five double eight seven seater, um, yeah, will come in basically the current model's engine um with a with a six and eight speed transmission option as well 
Um, yeah, we, we expect the FEVs to come a little bit later after the facelift sort of arrives. Um, but, yeah, we're kind of, yeah, I like the look of it. I really love the interior. I love the Peugeot interiors. Um, but, yeah, this is a, a good move. Yeah, it's a great move. I think that'll be really interesting to see how that goes in the market, particularly, obviously, the yeah. popularity. We've talked many times before of the RAV hybrid. Um, this is a little bit similar in terms of size and, and positioning, um, maybe a little bit more on the higher price side, but it could entice a lot more people into the brand having a hybrid version um, as more people trying to be obviously more fuel conscious and, and things like that and, and having the ability to have um you know both uh, not really having the range anxiety of, of and being able to have this hybrid option so yeah i think it'll be very it's a it's a great move for for Peugeot to to do that and i think it'll be it'll be interesting to see uh how it goes um mm. and you know what the result is and actually more more interesting what it's like to drive yeah that's right uh, one thing which I hopefully will get a, a chance to drive, but um, we'll, we'll keep our fingers crossed, um, is the new BMW M5 CS. This is the first club swap version of the big, bold M5 uh, sedan, and um, it's also the most powerful production car BMW has ever made. It is coming to Australia, and um, it joins the family of the M3 and the M4 CS, as well as the recent M2 CS, and, um, yeah, basically removes some of the unnecessary luxuries, which is it's not all the way CSL, but it does sort of trim things back a little bit. Um, but it does have a tweaked version of the um, 4.4-litre twin-turbo V8. So it has 467 kilowatts of power and 750 newton metres of torque. Eight-speed automatic transmission, which does have a switchable rear-wheel drive, all-wheel drive system. And um, obviously, yeah, 0 100 time of three seconds, 0 200 time in 10.4, and a top speed electronically limited, not just to 250, but now 305 kilometers per hour, because that is so useful here in Australia. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, this is, I I love the the gold wheels, the dark matte green paint, and of course, the the, the yellow um, tinted lights in 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 the front. Yeah, it looks good. Um, that color and, and stuff is uh, yeah. is pretty cool. Um, it's exciting to see that it, that it is coming here, uh, and that it'll be interesting to see. And being their most um, powerful um, production car ever uh, is, is pretty impressive. So yeah. I think they these will be snapped up pretty quickly once they yeah. uh, once they land. But uh, well, they're um, not going to be cheap. The three hundred and five thousand nine hundred drive away, um, and orders are being taken online. Um, in, the interior is very similar, I will say, obviously M5 sized, but um, very similar to the new M4 and uh, M3, including the the carbon seats, which have that weird middle hump in between your legs, which after sitting in the M, the new M4, it just was not comfortable. Um, you, if you have the option, go for the standard sports seats. Don't go for the carbon fiber seats because it's just every and everybody that was there um wasn't a huge fan of it and obviously it it might be different when driving it out on the road but it just if you've got if you if you're if you're not the size of a racing car driver it's not going to be suited to you um the 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 carbon fiber hump in the middle is just yeah it 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 doesn't suit most normal sized people um but yeah incredible credible looking car um i do love that it is a four-seater not a five-seater 
Um, so you've got uh, bucket seats in the back as well. So it, that that experience isn't compromised in the back either. Yeah, I like the fact that it's uh, switchable between rear wheel drive and all wheel drive. Yeah, I like that. It's a nice nice touch BMW. That's right. Okay, the Kona N line um, is on sale. It's uh, it does have a you know two. Obviously, they've had a, an overall. Um, update with uh, some some sharper sh- styling i do think uh i prefer the new look uh kona particularly on the front it does look a lot more aggressive as well in that n-line variant yeah, um so i'll have to, the, the I'll have to, talk to yeah i'll have to talk to hyundai and see when we'll be able to to jump into that and, and um, explore what they've changed so in terms of um the the powertrain options there is a two liter four-cylinder petrol engine that has 110 kilowatts power and 180 newton meters of torque and that's going through a CVT. And um, then you've got the the new 1.6 litre turbo that has 146 kilowatts of power and 265 newton metres of torque. Um, and, that's good. and that's hooked up to a seven-speed dual-clutch auto. So that should be um, that should be quite fun. And, um, yeah, that turbo is only available in that inline form. Um, yeah, all, all two-litre... Four-cylinder models are front-wheel drive, um, with the N-line turbo being all-wheel drive. Um, in terms of fuel efficiency, this is probably the biggest, um, most notable thing, is that there's a 14% improvement on efficiency for that 2-litre. That's a hell um, of a lot with a change a in a model. That is a massive change. Yeah, so it's now 6.2 litres per 100 rather than 7.2. So that's a that's a big step forward. That's really good economy out of, a, out of that sort of car in terms of the size of the engine and whatever else that's very very impressive that's right so in terms of entry level so 26600 is going to get you into the base model uh kona 2 liter uh the active 28200 kona elite 31600 highlander which is um which was the the top end model previously at 38000 um, but then if you're wanting to jump into the N-Line or N-Line Premium, which sort of sits separately because of the different um, uh, engines, so that's 36300 or 42400. Um, but I'm really liking the styling of the, the N-Line. I think it just gives a, the right amount of aggressiveness um, for for the car, and um, which you lose out a little bit once they go back to the, to the two-tone paint uh, in, the, uh, in the other models. Yeah, the end line without the uh, the grey guards and stuff is um, really nice, and the, in the blue for in that launch colour with those rims, it really is a good looking yeah. thing. Yeah, it really. And that is. aggressive um, in the nose, the the three. Um, yeah, the, the three, three little parts of the grill. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, I'd love to see an end line version of the Kona uh, electric. I think that would yeah. go down a real treat. Yeah, that'd be interesting um, yeah. to see what it could kind of kick out of it as well. Mm. So another update uh, has been sort of detailed is the Mini Cooper. Um, interestingly, <laughs> I don't know if this was the intention, um, but with the latest styling, it's got a the the front of the car looks like. Um, uh, a bikey with these uh, handlebars, <laughs> you know, on his on his facial hair. Um, he's left it on because on all of these cars that are in the photos, it's got I don't know, it's got a, a weird facial feature on the front. I don't. What What do you think of this? What's your take? Yeah, look, it's an interesting design. Um, yeah, yeah it, it's 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 weird with the way that it's just been coloured. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, it is a bit of a change. Because um, it makes it look like it goes around the mouth, doesn't it? Around yeah. from the top down to the bottom. It's very much like Ast- Aston with their front grille on their cars in terms yeah. of that, that same sort of design. When yeah. some of them, they put like a fluoro color or something through it, it really stands yeah. out. So, Like I am a yeah. huge fan of this fluoro yellow that they've got um, in the Cooper S like Hero. Yeah, just for something uh, different. But um, but yeah, I, I, but overall the mini, like I do like the styling. Um, it does have a slightly new steering wheel, um, a five-inch digital gauge, um, that was carried over from the mini electric, um, as well as a new version of iDrive, um, or mini's version of iDrive anyway, um, is coming in. So and that's at eight point eight inches. So yeah, I think um. I think it's some fairly good solid updates overall, um, but yeah, just uh, I'll have to see that in person to see what that curious sort of yeah, uh, f- sort of look. It, it might look a bit funny to some people, um, but arguably not as egregious, egregious as um, some people would say the four series is, for example. Um, but yeah, it's certainly worth checking out and have a look at the photos on that one. Um, Maserati. They've revamped the entire lineup. So Ghibli, Quattroporte, Levante, um, basically in a nutshell, um, not, mu- not much in terms of huge styling updates, but they've had a nice um, pickup in terms of infotainment and safety tech, which is obviously a, always a nice um, nice thing. But unfortunately, um, most models pick up um, with that extra equipment are having a corresponding price Increase, so that's probably the the downside on that one. It doesn't come as a uh, an update. It's more like a here's a forced paid update. <laughs> yeah, um, interesting that yeah. all the diesel has left across the board as well. There's no diesel yeah. versions available anymore, which is an interesting move because the um, well, the diesel is probably one of the nicest sounding. Uh, yeah. It was they made in the model, particularly in the Levante as well. Um, But yeah, it's obviously a a move they've made in the way that they're um, they're heading. But obviously, yeah, with some of the rejigs, with some of the Trofeo models that are coming as well. um, Yeah, it's interesting to see uh, that it's obviously had had an update um, and a new generation multimedia system as well. So um, I know that the dealerships are moving towards pushing these new ones out with these changes. So um, yeah, a nice a nice update for for those in the market. Yeah, I think overall, like they're they're pretty good looking cars. It's just um, yeah, I think I think it's probably clever ditching the diesel because you know the general movement is away from diesel engines anyway um and most of the customers are probably not worried about fuel economy and wanting to have a bit more fun in other ways so um yeah makes sense in in, in that regard um skoda skoda scala um has arrived and um yeah what's your what's your take on this one yeah there's been a lot of talk i'm in a couple of um skoda groups online and uh, there's been a bit of excitement around this um guys that have that are looking at changing out from other models and stuff it's a good looking thing it it it's it is well, it's, it's nice seeing a a, a wagon yeah make it so sort of they're calling it a, com- a compact hatchback but it does look like a wagon really because of the yeah. length of it um i haven't seen one in person yet i'm pretty keen to i must go and have a look there's a dealership not far from from home i must go and check it out at some stage but yeah it's a really good looking model um in terms of what you know it does particularly in the in the launch color blue um of course the great thing i love about skoda's is that they do really well it's i mean it's obviously inherited from the rest of the vw group but the virtual the virtual cop 
copy. Yes. Um, and, you know, the... the it, it certainly the is one of the best available on the market. Yeah, it is really pretty. And that whole infotainment system in in that whole... Um, in in most of the Skoda range is really, really impressive. Um and obviously, there's, there's quite a nice variety of models, starting from you know 26 grand, um, you know, which is well priced. And for the list of features that you get in terms of options, you know, you get the virtual cockpit, you know, the adaptive cruise control, wireless charging, lane assist, seven airbags. You know, that's just in the in the the Scala 110 TSI. Um, the Monte Carlo, the Monte Carlo edition gives you you know 18 inch rooms, pano roof, sports seats, full LED headlights dual zone climatic air control and a sports chassis with different drive modes. And then that's 33,990 drive away. And then you go the launch edition, which is another two grand more, um, is it gets electric uh, heated front and rear um, seats, electric driver seats, an improved infotainment system with a 9.2 inch screen, light assist with rain sensor, um, whites, uh, wireless smart link Apple CarPlay, uh, Android mm-hmm. is coming later. Uh, auto park, side assist, and rear traffic alert. So, like, really, really well priced uh, for what for what it offers. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's it's always nice to see cars like this, and um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how it fits in with the with the pricing and and how how people respond to that as well. Because Skoda does still face that that challenge, um, you know, as a that brand affinity. But yeah, it's it's not bad for 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 what it is yeah and i think it'll be interesting to see how it goes in terms of you know it's a, it's a new addition into their range so i think it'll be yeah. interesting to see where it is i know that there's a little bit of talk with a couple of from a couple of people saying that they'd probably go this over you know a kamik or um or a karok you know those sort of things yeah. looking for something a bit different don't want to don't want the suv sort of height but still want the space so yes um yeah i must at some stage hopefully one of us can get behind on the wheel of one and see what they're like to drive yeah uh it's uh we'll look forward to it but um okay bring a trailer have you have you had a quick look uh yeah i did um i've got a bit of a i've got a bit of a thing for um Massive powered V8s at the moment. I don't know what it was all <laughs> okay. recently, but um, yeah, I have a thing for this for this generation Corvette, and it's a 2010 Chev Corvette ZR1. Um, right. Okay. The supercharged 6.2 liter LS9 um, with the six-speed manual. So this thing's nice. It's in the black um, with uh, silver chrome, uh, chrome wheels. Um, it's locates, it's only done seven and a half thousand miles. Um, it's got four days left and it's at 55 um, grand. Um, I have a thing for this sort of model because ever since I think I saw the film, I think it's called The Last Stand with Arnold Schwarzenegger. The, the baddie drives one of these um, and there's yeah. some pretty cool scenes of it being driven at uh, high speed and, and the noise from the, the supercharger and the LS9 is just mm. just brilliant. So, uh, yeah, pretty impressive uh, looking thing. So um, what did you find? Uh, I think uh, I... I... I saw this and I was like, yeah, I have to stick on the, uh, you know, on the, on the theme that I've had. And that's a, it's a 1935 MGPB. Um, it's currently at $47,000. It ends in 10 hours. And um, yeah, so it's a two-tone blue, um, you know, with blue leather, 
939cc inline four, <laughs> four speed non synchronized manual transmission. Um, and it's got, you know, includes everything. It's super clean, super clean car. Um, but it's also got all of its registration documents from 1946 to 1976 included. Um, and it's been featured in a couple of books. But yeah, super tidy car, really clean. And just, um, I think of, uh, it's a, it's the wrong color, but I think of um, that show Brum. Um, it it seems, feels to me that a very similar type of car, but yeah, wonderful, wonderful looking classic car. Um, and uh, yeah, I just thought I'd stick on the, uh, stick on the, <laughs> the bandwagon of the MG yeah. this week. And um, obviously this is, you know, this is the history of, um, of, of MG and it's yeah. interesting to see whether, you know, where it's ended up now, but yeah, it's uh, you know, it's it's just amazing to see cars. You know, it's still hard to wrap your head around for me anyway. Sometimes you know, cars of this vintage, um, and also still looking somewhat modern at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Um, from certain aspects, but stunning color as well with that. Oh, beautiful! But the two tone and and that it's just uh, yeah, really yeah. really nice. It uh, reminds me of um, even you know modern blues that we've seen, even Laguna Seca blue. Um, from BMW, it's just it's funny to see these sort of colours come around again um, every now and again too. But yeah, I think uh, well, it'll be interesting to see uh, to see what it is. We do every week. We do look at the the bring a trailer dot com just for a bit of fun to see what what's out and about, particularly in America, um, and uh, sort of discuss those things. If you have a car, uh, send it through shows at dailyautofix.com. Uh, something you discover, and uh, we'll, we'll take a look at it and see see what we think. Um, but international news. Um, so Jaguar's uh, C-Type, they're continuing uh, with that. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, it seems to be a common occurrence with, well, not a common occurrence, but a more common occurrence now with some brands that have decided to do, and we've seen Aston do it with their um, their DB5, but uh, now Jag Classic is celebrating 70 years of the C-Type um, and they've created a, a like you would expect with this, a very limited number of hand built yeah. um, examples of of the car that was a um, you know one of those standard iconic cars from the 1950s. So um, it's fully authentic, new disc brake Jag C types uh, that'll be built by the Land Rover Classic Works facility facility in Coventry, um, and you know you can actually build it. Uh, the online configurator can you know and allow you to, to build it how you want. Yeah. Um, there's some amazing imagery that's come out of it and it just looks absolutely stunning, um, you know, for, for that. So I think uh, it's it's just another one of those cool things if you've mm. got, you know, <laughs> money and you'd like to be able to, um, you know, have your own. But it's weird, yeah. just reading through it, it's quite interesting that only 53 were built in the 1950s and 43 of those were sold yeah. to private owners. Yeah. And eight of these new continuation cars will be built ahead of um, obviously a, a, a celebration event um, in 2022 for, for their owners. And um, obviously the classic cars will be there as well. And um, yeah, it's going to be built to the to the works team car specification, including the 3.4 litre straight six engine, um, with triple Weber 40 DCO3 carburetors, um, which produce a pretty healthy 220 horse power um but obviously with the addition of disc brakes um the original cars had uh had drum brakes but obviously it's a it's a much safer thing and it builds upon the experience you know the fender you know 
the experience they built um, of the continuation program, such as like the lightweight E-type, the XKSS, and D-type as well. So, you know, they've got they've got all the data, and if anybody's going to be building it right, it's going to be these guys. Because I've also got the archives, the scan data um, taken from the from an original car. Um, obviously, and then yeah, add on top of computer aided design. So, yeah, I think it's um it's exciting, and uh, yeah, I don't think it's going to be cheap. That's that's the other thing; it's not going to be cheap. No, it won't be. And I think if you have to ask price, it's too much. But yeah. um, the interesting thing is that they will be um, FI approved harness retention systems um, or rollover mm. protection, and they will be eligible for historic racing track and closed road, road use. So um, they're going to be designed to be driven. Yeah. And another one that's designed to be driven is um, so David Brown Automotive. Um, they've just completed their latest build, and it's the Speedback GT model. Um, so it's based off, I think, a 550. Is that right, Joel? A Ferrari? Um, but yeah, it's a it's a, uh, another classic. You know, it's, this is like your retro mod sort of vehicle, um, which just looks stunning. Yeah, it's amazing. When this came through, the release hit uh, came through during the week, but it was weird. I, I had a quick look at it, and normally you just scroll through the release and look for the pictures to obviously see what it was like, but um, there wasn't any embedded in it. You actually have to go to a link to look at it, at it at, to actually see them. So um, uh, I was actually looking at a different car, um, which came through at a similar thing. So this is a slightly different vehicle, um, but, yeah, still, again, classic orientated but obviously it's a it's a one-off commission um in germany which is still unreal yeah and it's in this beautiful blue moon blue metallic color um and it's absolutely stunning with really nice period wire um wheels but it's got this awesome in the because it's effectively a hatchback it's got this awesome pull out it's jump seat that you can actually use if you're sitting at, you know, whether it be the polo or whatever it is yeah. that you're going to, but you can yeah. actually turn up and then just pull out this wonderful jump seat and sit and watch, you know, what it, watch whatever you, you're doing. Uh, and, but yeah, it's just absolutely stunning. It's got a little bit of current Aston about it, but then it's yeah. got period yeah. Aston in it. Um, yeah. yeah, it's, it's an impressive, um, looking thing so yeah it was built for a customer in, in germany um and yeah it's just one of those things that we've seen you know ferrari have done it for customers in the past and, and other brands have done it but it's just one of those um stunning commissions that have been built that is mm. just a mm. just a work of art yeah and uh in, a, in more of a futuristic looking point of view uh the volkswagen id4 has gone on sale in the uk a car that i wish we got under down under here yeah, it's interesting that uh, these have um, these have gone on sale. There was someone there today, I think, that was reading that um, we're going to buy, again, just in a group that I was in, they were talking about going to buy something and they've changed and they're, um, they're going to buy an ID4 instead. So, yeah, yeah interesting uh, in move in terms of it is. It's with a um, 77 kilowatt hours with a 310-mile range. Um and I mean, this pricing is obviously UK pricing, but it's uh, about thirty-eight thousand pounds. So, um, so not yeah. not cheap. No, um, you know, once you convert it over, but yeah, it's certainly um, again one of the you know this is a, a fairly big step for Volkswagen, you know, in, in with their ID vehicles to you know to bring that to mass production at a at a you know a 
a tighter price point. But also a decent sized car as well. Like it's yeah. not it's not a small compact. It's actually oh, you would call it a more a mid to mid range uh, mid size SUV. So you know it, it and it's their first electric SUV. Um, it's you know it's 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 new looking thing. It's stunning in this gold color that they've used in the in the launch images. But um, yeah, it's um, uh, like you said, it's they hadn't planned to bring it here, but hopefully we will see some of the ID family make their way here in the future, particularly with more and more. Um, you know, as we talked about earlier in the show, more and more people trying to push towards having that you know carbon neutral, um, you know, sort of feel for 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 uh helping in yeah. trying to keep you know moving away from petrol and, and diesel i think it's one of those things we'd like to hopefully see that we do get some of these in and in the future so yeah absolutely well um <laughs> you know who knows maybe ken block uh will, will be driving one of those as his brand partner but he has announced that he is parted with ford um and it was probably i don't know about you but it was probably a good hint given the latest jim carter which it mind you it didn't feature ken block but it also didn't feature a ford no. um and so i wonder you know where you, what brand do you think he should be targeting next do you think it'd be more with the subaru maybe or even you know could we see him align with hyundai given that hyundai are wanting to push into you know that enthusiast market with the you know what and what they're doing with the end brand well that's the thing is when ken made the announcement it was interesting that ford actually made the same announcement that they both came out and said that they had agreed to part ways amicably um obviously because yeah. they'd re- reached the end of their relationship and obviously ford obviously wanted to go a different direction and ken obviously wanted to go a different direction so it made sense for them to both go their separate ways and like you said the current jim Carner was back to his original roots with subaru but that's yeah. more because travis was involved and travis has an association with subaru mm-hmm. um but yeah there's you know there's been all kinds of talk you know, people are saying that he should get involved with Toyota um, because obviously with their, you know, some yeah. of their, G, their GR range now, particularly around the GA Yaris and things like that, um, that would be a great um, brand to be involved with. But like you said, also Hyundai, um, that would be good to see them having. Because all uh, of them are very much involved in uh, WC, uh, WRC as well. Yeah. So, it depends yeah. on whether Ken wants to continue in that, in that rallying thing, but Toyota and Hyundai are both great choices in that respect. Um I would think a brand like those two would probably be, you know, a, a smart move in that respect in terms for them, depending on where they want to go with their their branding. And they both have those performance brands, but I think yeah. it'd be and how much they're like, willing to invest too, as well. Yeah. I think uh, partnering with him would be cheap. No, um, it won't be. But yeah. for what it'll do for your brand, um, yeah. particularly with what he's done based around the rest of the Ford range, with you know he's done a lot of stuff with um, F150s, Focuses, yeah. um, Fiestas. So there, there's you know you've got to look at it across the across the across the model range with what else it can do to help promote those. So, um, and you got to look at it from a US point of view in the US market, obviously the strongest positioning for him is obviously in that, in that market. I mean, GM, they've obviously made a decision that they're going to go towards that more sort of electric market and stuff like that. So yeah. I, I don't know whether they would go there in terms of um, what they have from a performance point of view. Um but yeah, it, yeah, it's one of those things. I mean, we'd love to hear your thoughts on what who you think um, he should be heading towards, and and who should be knocking on his door next. Um, but yeah, I think it'll be just one of those things. It'll be interesting to see um, whether it's a, a multi-year deal or whether it's just um, 
you know, a couple of one-off things that he gets involved with now that he's a free agent. There's no real um, anywhere that he has to to do anything. He could work with different brands. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where him and the Hoonigan family go and and where they um, what they start doing. Yeah, absolutely. And um, what what do you think your uh, your favorite um, favorite car of his was? Mine would have to be the F one fifty with the Ford GT motor in it. Yeah, look, the the Huna, <laughs> the Huna truck was pretty cool when that came out, and particularly I was a big fan of the Jim Carner files, which was yeah. a, based a lot around the building of of that truck and, and what it was doing with its development leading up to the to the Jim Carner that it featured in. But I'm all, I'm very got a very big soft spot for the um, the Hoonicorn. Um, I love that car. Um, I, that that Jim Carner is still probably one of my favorites. Um, you know, it did, it did some really cool stuff. It, it obviously climbed, did climb Carner when it climbed Pikes Peak. Um, there was a really cool thing where they tore through London for a Top Gear episode. Yeah. Um, that did a lot, but you know, I, for what he did with um, the Fiesta as well, um, and with its involvement in Jim Carner from its uh, release in Jim Carner three through to what it did for four and five, um, with both um, the Hollywood, which is obviously in um, at sort of Universal Studios, and then when it went to San Francisco as well, um, I think that was you know pretty impressive. So yeah, I think you know really. To, to answer your question, my favorite would have to be the the Hoonicorn. Um, yeah. But yeah, I have a soft spot for what he did with the Fiesta as well. Yeah. Uh, okay. And uh, Lego, another week, another Lego kit. Yeah. Uh, the Porsche 911 Targo Turbo. Now, I really want to share. I, I, I could only see it on Facebook, and I'll have to have another look. Um, but I'll try and share it on our Instagram at Daily Autofix. Um, but the, it's a fantastic video of it. Of, of the 911 Targa um, or the Turbo, you can choose between the two, um, going through like the like a production line. Um, I think that was really, really cool. Very um, clever with the way it was being built and assembled and stuff like that. So yeah, this Lego kit is actually two in one. You can either build it as the 911 Targa or as a 911 Turbo. And as a friend of mine said to me uh, during the week, it's a very smart move by Porsche um, because the enthusiasts will buy two of them and build one of each. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? true. True. You know, that's very tempting. So um, it's coming out in March. It'll be available to Lego members early um but strangely enough the the release and everything came out but there's no listing anywhere on lego's website so which i thought was yeah. a, a kind of well, a weird, I had a, weird and mode. i was curious because so, it, it looks more like the little speed masters you know the mini um little ones but this is a it's actually quite a large kit it's 1500 pieces and it's and in the us at least it's 150 dollars um mm. so it's a bit of a Quite a commitment. So um, it looks to be probably slightly smaller than the Dodge Charger and probably yeah, around the yeah. center kind of size. So the yeah. center we talked about recently is now on sale. I've seen it in a couple of stores. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, that's now available and the Jeep is out now as well. So yeah. this looks to be obviously, um, I think it's going to be fairly similar. This is a few more pieces than the center. I think the center is around about a thousand pieces. Yeah. This is around about 1400. So um, it's a good size. Um, it'll certainly be a, a fun build. Um, and I'm excited to um, to see it when it comes on, on sale here in Oz. Mm, absolutely. Uh, and one last bit of fun. Uh, this was the one that I was talking about before, the Ferrari 550-based bread van homage, which amazingly is 
I, I think for a, I wasn't a huge fan of the 550. Um, but I have to say, I'm a bit of a fan on particularly the rear of mm. this of this homage that they've built. I'm not a big fan of the uh, clear bubble on the bonnet, though. I think that kind of yeah, kind of ruins I th- it. I, th- I, th- I it. think that's I think that's just going back into sort of the the heritage of what those cars were. Yeah. They had all the different it's got very and things Trans like Am look about the front end of it with those nose pieces. Yeah, yeah. But I think it comes back down to this is this is going back to you know paying it paying attention to what these classic you know what this classic car that is paying you know back to the 250 gt mm. um and the stories around those and the different configurations they had no to you know none of the 250 gt or gtos were the same because they were all customized in slightly different ways for the types of racing they were doing what the what the uh, customer wanted as well and so you ended up with all these different um, lights and intakes and scoops and that kind of thing. And yeah, I probably wouldn't have spec that myself on this particular car, but I think the general concept overall um, is is pretty pretty damn cool. Yeah, it's very cool. So it's a five. It's got that usual five point five liter V twelve, naturally aspirated, open gate, six speed manual. And it's real wheel drive, and um, I, I guess uh, 550 speeds are pretty, um, or 550 prices are pretty manageable at the moment. And hence, uh, probably was uh, was chosen as the uh, as the as the base vehicle, um, because a lot of other naturally aspirated, uh, particularly in the V8s, are shooting up quite a lot in uh, in price because you know naturally aspirated is pretty much no longer a thing in these cars. Yeah, I'd be intrigued. There's no mention of it in the story around it, but I'd be interested to see whether it was, uh, you know, something that had been heavily damaged in the rear or something to, to build yeah. from. Sometimes this is what people do with this sort of stuff. But um, the the homage to the original with the gauges and everything on the inside is very, very nice as well. Yeah. Yeah, well, look, that, that brings us to, you know, we had a fairly solid week, some good discussion, I think, uh, some interesting things happening and... Um, yeah, it uh, gives us a lot to, to think about and discuss, uh, you know, what's happening, not just in the next 12 months, but in the next, uh, you know, decade or so. Um, there's a lot of change going on. But um, if there's anything you, uh, the listener, would like us to, to talk about or to, to review, um, you can always let us know. Um, send us a message or email us, shows at dailyautofix.com. Um, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. That helps us, and um, we'd, we'd love to know what you think. And um, make sure you follow Joel at Joel Strick Photo and Daily Auto Fix for everything else. Uh, but thanks, Joel, and uh, you got a good week planned? Yeah, Ash, uh, yes, I'm uh, off to the island tomorrow to oh, uh, shoot down there for for, uh, for for the day. So looking forward to that. Haven't been down there for quite a while, so that uh, will be quite uh, quite a fun fun day, hopefully. Nice so. little road trip for you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right. Well, um, until then, uh, have a good week, and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, we'll have you, our listeners, uh, back again next week. And uh, but until then, stay safe. I'll speak to you all next week. All right, bye.